The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 571, for Sunday, September 20th, 2015. Go readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips, questions, and cool stuff found. We share your tips, questions, and cool stuff found. We even sometimes answer the questions that go along with it. In fact, the goal is for everyone, including us, to learn at least three new things during every show. Speaking of three things, I have uh, our three sponsors today to tell you about in, in short, and then we'll share a little bit more about each of them later in the show. Linda at lynda.com slash mgg. That's where you get 10 free days of their awesome training videos. Barebones Software at barebones.com, the home of and the home and makers of BB Edit. We'll talk more about that later in the show. And TunnelBear at tunnelbear.com slash MGG. That's where you go to save 20%, 10 bucks off of an annual subscription. We'll talk more about that later in the show, too. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How's life in Fairfield, Connecticut these weeks, uh, this week, these days, this hour, these, these past few minutes, John? I told you in pre-show, you know, I have to tell kids to get off my lawn. It's just, it's, it's a lot of work, man. Keep, keeping the neighborhood in, in order here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, no comment. Is that better? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's, but, good. Um, it's easier that way. But you know, I, uh, there are some new things in my life, Dave. What's, so, um, what's new in your life, so man? Well, well, one thing that's going to be new. So, uh, you know, I wasn't like all you other uh, crazy people ordering your, your uh, pre-ordering your, your iPhone, but I did pre-order an iPhone. Oh, nice. Uh, I'll, talk, I'll talk about that later. Okay. Um, once I get it. But uh, one thing is that, uh, you know, the latest iPhone and most of the uh, latest Apple devices uh, have, uh, uh, for wireless, have 802.11ac. Right. Um, and I don't think I currently really have any devices. I, I, I'm not sure if my iPad has it. I was going to say your iPad does. Air. I, I know the Air 2, of course, has AC, but I don't know about the, the one off the top of my head. But yes, in either case, you're going to have at least one. Your MacBook, your MacBook Pro does not? No, that's N because it's a 2012. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, it does in a sense. So, um target here yeah 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 so yeah. um yeah and I'll, I'll mention the, yeah. the caveat later but so i decided to get um a variation of something that we uh, talked about recently that was uh, in an article um so what i got here dave is i got the uh, tp link archer c9 uh 802.11ac access point for very little money like just about a little over 100 bucks really uh, did you get it from amazon yeah. Nice. Yeah, the prices come uh, down quite a bit from when it was uh, initially. I think it's almost been out for a year. Okay. Um, this is the unit I decided to get. Yep. And so far, I'm really, uh, really pretty happy with it. Um, some of the benefits over the Apple equipment uh, very quickly. That uh, So one, it has DOS blinking lights, uh, has several status indicators, which is uh, nice. Sure. Um the antennas are external. They use uh, what I believe is called an F connector, and they're external, and you can fiddle with them, so that's kind of nice. And if you wanted to put different antennas on it, you could. 
Um, it has how, how many ex- antennas are external? Uh, there are three antenna connections. So which three are those? Are those the 2.4s and the fives are internal? Uh, I think they're dual band. If I, if uh, oh. what I read was correct. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah. Which I guess you can do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. What I, I like so. is that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what I like is, uh, and then the features that it had a beyond Apple or, or reasons I got this instead of some of the others. Uh, so of course it's gigabit, you know, has a uh, one port in and four out just like the Apple. Okay. Um, uh, has two USB ports. So one, uh, which you would probably want to put a printer on. You can do printer sharing and then they give you software that kind of does a virtual USB thing. So it's a little different from Apple. Sure. Uh, but it works fine. Uh, cause I use it to access my inkjet and then it has a USB three port where if you want to put a hard drive on it and, uh, do file sharing, uh, you can do that. That's kind of neat. And then the uh, web interface is uh, is very nice. Uh, there are some translation hiccups here and there because uh, I think it's a Japanese company. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in the manual, you mean? Or in the well, user in interface? One, well, on one screen they have, you know, where you can map protocols and instead of uh, gopher, it has gore-her. But wait like, a minute. Think- <laughs> the thing supports gopher? That's insane, uh, dude. If- if you, if you want to, uh, it's one of the screens where you can do, wow. where you can map, uh, you know, do port forwarding and stuff. And yeah. Have Gopher, because Gopher uses a dedicated port. But who, People okay. still rock Gopher. Who, who uses Gopher? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's more my question. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, you know, some of the neat features. So it supports UPnP uh, versus uh, uh, PMP NAT. Those both being protocols oh, where yeah. software can program a router to do port forwarding so right. it supports a different standard which is uh it's better neither good nor bad it's just different. no 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 and i think more well it's it's more widely supported correct think, than apple's implementation that's right that's right uh and right setting it up out of the gate the, the one concern i had so it's like okay well name your 2.4 and your 5 gigahertz radios and i'm like oh i hope i can name them the same and it lets you do that it's not entirely obvious you can do that yep because out of the box, it has them named separately, which right. I think you and I agree is is probably not the best thing uh, to do, well, depending we, on your situation. As we talked about in the last show, if you have lots of Apple devices, it is not the best thing to do. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about this because Apple's Airport Extreme, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I've got this right, is uh, what they call an AC1750 router, which means that it does... Um, five gigahertz, 1300 megabits per second because of the 802.11 AC. And then 2.4 gigahertz, Apple does 450 megabits per second. Uh, and that's at 802.11 N. Whereas the Archer router is what they call an AC 1900 router. Same 1300 megabit per second speeds on five gigahertz at AC maximum. These are all ma- theoretical maximums, by the way. And then Yours, it has uh, one additional radio of 2.4, right? Uh, and so it does, it can do an additional stream. So instead of uh, 450, like Apple's, it's 600 on the 2.4. And yours supports both implicit and explicit beam forming if I am, if I'm, if I'm understanding it correctly. And I believe that I am. And, and so mm-hmm. where that, where that gets beneficial, few devices are actually going to be able to do uh, few client devices are going to be doing 600 megabit per second 
uh, 2.4 gigahertz because, you know, your, your phone doesn't, you, they don't want to bake that many radios into your phone because it would be too much. Right. Um, and it would, it would cost too much in terms of battery power, but implicit beam forming and explicit beam forming and, and the, for explicit, the client needs to support it for implicit. It's just up to the router to try and sort out what's best. It can start doing things like, all right, assign this device to these, the, this radio assign these devices here and send its data there and send its data there. And it can actually kind of really make the network efficient. Um, I don't have enough experience with the TP link firmware to say how, how well that performs, but I've, I've done quite a bit, um, of that with the uh, with the DDWRT firmware, which you can run. Actually, the C9 is is well supported by DDWRT. If you if you want to head down that path and and kind of have a, a a slightly different experience, it sounds like it sounds like Archer or sorry uh, TP Link has done a pretty good job with adding features to their firmware. So you may or may not even need to kind of expand beyond the bounds of what they have. But uh, but if you do, it it is well supported. And again, the nice part about using DDWRT is down the road, if you get a different router, you don't have to live in the same brand family to maintain a consistent user interface or even maintain your settings. You can just bring them along to any DDWRT supported router, which is fun. Yeah, I'll see. Uh, so far, I'm happy with what they offer. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they absolutely give you more fine grain control. If you want it, so like, for example, you can set many of the wireless parameters like the beacon frequency and uh, yeah, yeah, the, stuff, the stuff you probably never want to touch. Yeah. Re- regardless of whether you can well, or not. <laughs> and the stuff that I think uh, with the problems with Wi-Fi in early releases of. Um, of uh, the current Mac OS. Yeah. Um, one of the problems is that it kept complaining about losing a beacon. And, and I suspect that if I was able to control that, I suspect that I would not have had as many dropped connections because that's the error that was reported. It kept saying, I, I don't see the beacon, so uh, I'm going to say goodbye. Uh, this lets you set that. Um, Got it. Along with a lot of other things. The, yeah. the only things that didn't quite work. So one, my Synology was not able to program it. It's not a known router, so I wasn't able to use it to do port mapping, though I was yeah. able to do that for I, OpenVPN easy enough. I, I had to do it manually, though. Sure, and then, sure. Yeah, Synology's... Um, I, I don't trust Synology's router programming. I mean, it, it works. It happens to work with my router because they support DDWRT, but uh, it, it's not reliable. If I have to reboot my router, there's no rhyme or reason as to when my Synology will reprogram those settings into my router if they don't persist across a reboot. And that's very frustrating, you know, from remote. So I found it far more reliable to just program the port forwards into my router directly for my static devices and leave them alone. So, Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is that it doesn't offer um, a VPN baked in, but then neither, neither does Apple, but I'm using right. open VPN through the uh, Synology and, uh, like I said, I had to map the port manually, but sure. um, but that's my VPN solution and it works just fine. So uh, I, I would uh, also recommend turning on the uh, what is it uh, IPsec the L two TP VPN uh, on your Synology only because that way you don't have to share a certificate around. It's way easier. I mean, you just turn it on and and you can do your settings without having uh, to share yeah. files around. No, I get it, but that's the reason I don't think I want to. <laughs> got it oh i see yeah no i get it from i don't want to make it too easy standpoint. for sure i don't want to make it too easy for my enemies to yes uh, yeah 
Listen, I still run PPTP because it's the easiest solution. Yeah. Yeah. But L2TP is not. No, you're right. Um, So what we're talking about here, so VPN, which is uh, the ability for you to tunnel into uh, uh, securely, for the most part, tunnel into your network. OpenVPN requires that you have this file called a certificate in order to get in. And if you don't have the certificate, you don't get in. Um, so like I was saying, that that's a potential uh, barrier to someone wanting to get into your OpenVPN network is that they can't unless sure. they have the certificate. Whereas what Dave's talking about, there are different protocols for VPN where all you need, as far as I know, is a username and password and maybe some additional information. With L2TP, you need like a secret that. key. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it, it, you, you're absolutely right. Yep. It's it's. The less you need, the less secure it is pretty much by definition. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the fun part is I was able to run. Um, so, you know, I ran our, our favorite wireless utilities or one of it, uh, iStumbler. And sure enough, it said, oh, yeah, you have, a, you know, you have an 802AC router. And, uh, you know, because I saw both the radios and it identified the one radio as an AC radio. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. But what's kind of interesting is that when I ran iStumbler, it also noticed that there were other AC radios near me, including my ISP, who offers wireless in the area. Oh, nice. As many do. So, uh, so they're rolling those out, too. Huh. Cool. Uh, what and kind of speeds? Thing, did, did you, you, have you been able to do any AC speed tests? Have you done them with, like, uh, um, you know, hardwiring one machine into your router and then, and then using another one to do, like, an iPerf test or whatever? Okay, cool. I will. And the last thing is now I can finally use. So I have this uh, little ditty here. So, so when you ask me, do I have AC on my MacBook? Yes and no is that I have the Bear Extender Turbo, which is a uh, USB 3 device that lets me connect via 802.11ac to this. And when I do connect with it, oh, nice. so one, it's smart, is that if you're connecting via 802.11n, it's a USB 2 device. If you're connecting via uh, USB th- uh, if you're connecting via AC, it's a USB 3 device. Nice. It switches between them. Because I asked them about this. I'm like, why is this showing up as USB 2 device? It's like, well, because you're connecting it then, dude. I'm like, oh, neat. But then when I connected to this thing, it said, yep, you're connected at 867 megabits. That's, that's pretty because, good. Yeah. I think that's because that device has two antennas. So I think that's why it connects at 867. It's 867 and not the 13 and not right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's my AC solution for, for my MacBook. Um, so yeah, like you, you said, the thing is I haven't yet stressed the limits of, of the speed because I think I'm limited by the speed of the drives and my, my NAS is. That's, that's why I always use, always use iPerf three it because it, it, it's not limited to the speed of anything other than the network, right? You're not trying to read files, you're just creating data out of whole cloth, blasting it across the, the network, receiving it and throwing it away. So, yeah. And yeah. I have a, yeah. And I have, I have, have that installed on the command line on both my machines. So I'll give that a whirl and, yeah. and see what kind of speeds I get. Yeah. I'm curious. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I mean, I looked at the, the, you know, small net builder actually has a killer chart, which we will put a link in the show notes that, they have gone through and tested the speeds of pretty much every router out there. And, uh, and, and the C seven, which is, I believe what they, uh, was it, was it, was it them that, that reviewed all these routers? No, it was, it was wire cutter, but the, the one that wire cutter rated highly, the C seven. So the, the double younger brother 
from this one, or at least in terms of model number, it was much faster in all of the tests than the than this one, the C9, and t- at least in terms of raw wireless throughput. There are other metrics where this one does better because it's got the dual core CPU and all that other stuff. But um, but you know they're talking. They set up these really um, short range tests to do just to see how fast the router could perform. And that it is an important metric, but it's not to me. It's not the most important one. The most important one to me is range. To be honest, um, and and that's where my I, I start questioning the the wisdom of router manufacturers putting externally and and more specifically adjustable antennas on their routers because if you don't know what you're doing, you will make it worse. So I, I, I'm always curious as to why they why they do that. You, you know what I mean? It, it's it's better to do them internal or at least external and fixed position, I think. But, well, but I get you're, it. You're, I mean, we're geeks. I mean, you know. Well, you're, you're giving the user the illusion of control. Yeah, you're giving the, them the ability it. to screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I gave you the market, the correct marketing term. Yeah, no, I, I, I was with you on that. Yeah, you gave yeah. me the re, you, you gave me the reality. The re, is, yeah, yeah, the reality. Yeah. So that's why Apple hides them. They're like, don't don't touch this. Don't touch this. Touching the antennas. <laughs> it's true. But there's I mean, there's some benefit to having larger antennas and, and you know, all that stuff. But it comes at a cost, I think. So anyway, yeah. so so far I, I recommend it. And it's funny because I, I actually was in my local uh, BJ store the other day and they have the C8. With a rebate, in-store rebate, they had that for a hundred bucks. Wow! Yeah, the, the TP-Link uh, make makes good routers. They also make the new Google oh, on oh on air. What's it called? On ramp? I think it's the on ramp, right? Oh, what the heck is that stupid router called? Um, I have not tested one yet. I you know Google. I, I actually reached out to them and said, "Hey, you know we're router junkies here. It'd be a good thing for hub. us to take what's that called on hub? Yeah." And they were like, uh, yeah, we don't want you looking at this. Like, well, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> but the same thing happened when I reached out to Bose years ago, like two years ago, when they announced their, their wireless home audio thing. And I said, yeah, I'm really interested in learning about this. And they said, oh, we'd like to talk to you. And as soon as they knew I was like a Sonos user, they're like, yeah, we don't, uh, we don't have any review units for, to send you. It's like, oh, that's kind of weird. So you, you don't actually compete well when put head to head against this with someone who knows what they're talking about is that right they're like yeah uh, we're really busy we will call you back later okay okay <laughs> yep all right i see how it is anyway so uh so that's why we sometimes don't get these things to test but there's mm-hmm. there's but there's a hidden message there i think that they're trying to send to you don't buy one you know so uh, but but TP Link makes good stuff. I, I've heard no, I've never used one, but I've heard nothing but good things about uh, about their routers. They they are they are beloved in the DD Work community for their hardware. Obviously, not some people could care less about their software there, but um, but beloved for their hardware. Except okay, for their gotta, except for the RAM. Go ahead. I got to chuckle here because so so I did a Google search for Google router. Yeah, and uh, several lines down on the list here is some news articles. Mm-hmm. And there's one here which I think to your point uh, from Gizmodo Australia, and it says Google's OnHub is a mysterious and slightly terrible device. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. <laughs> nice, yeah, what a wonderful headline that is. It sounds like Google's PR department was well aware of that when uh, when I talked to him <laughs> on day one. So I guess that's good. Yeah. 
Yeah, Brian, Brian Monroe mentions here in the in the chat room that uh, you know I don't have to just wait for someone to send us something for review. I can go and buy it on a thirty day return policy, and and I don't even have to keep it. I can you know get it. And indeed, it's true. And I I've done that before. But when I get the message that it's just crap, then I, I just I have no interest. I have no interest in testing things and telling you, wow, it's terrible. Um, unless it's really, really terrible and you, you need to stay away. Right. But then that kind of, that message kind of comes out. I, I only want to tell you folks about good stuff. Uh, but I, I do that. And a lot of times I buy it and, and after 30 days, I don't return it because I liked it and I wind up keeping it. So that actually in part is where your, uh, Mackie cab premium subscriptions really do help out because they do help us, uh, you know, kind of finance some of that stuff and, and it, it makes a big difference. So we appreciate it. You can learn more about that at MacGeekCab.com. Let's go to uh, time to go to Paul, John. Why not? All right. Paul has a, uh, has a question, but it leads to an interesting thing. You know, iOS nine just came out and uh, Paul says he just upgraded an iPad air an iPad three and an iPhone six to iOS nine. And he says, I'm not seeing this new famed back to button anywhere, anywhere. What? Am I missing? Well, so here's the cool thing. In iOS 9, if one app launches you to another app, now this could be, you know, you click a link in mail and it brings you to Safari. It could be you're in the Facebook app and you click to go to a uh, instant message and it brings you to the Facebook Messenger app. It could be that you're on your calendar and you click the location and it brings you to Maps. Any of those scenarios where you are literally jumping from one app to another app in the upper left-hand corner, you should see a back to, in the case of, you know, you jump from mail to Safari, you should see back to mail in the upper left-hand corner of the screen in iOS. And this is true across any iOS 9 running device. And it's really handy because otherwise, you know, you were like double tapping the home button or doing your, you know, invoking your whatever magic you do to get to the, the app switcher and go there. This is a really nice thing. It makes it seem like a more seamless experience. Um, it's very cool. And, and That's of course, what's going on? I just noticed that the other day I was in Twitterific yeah. um, on my iPad and I went to a web page and I noticed in the upper left hand corner, it said go back to Twitterific. And I'm like, huh, I don't remember seeing that there before. Well, and I hadn't. It's really <laughs> handy because now things, you know, what I've always found frustrating and of course, Facebook will never change this, which, which sucks. But, it, you know, if I'm in a Twitter app and I click to a web page. I either have to choose in the app's preferences, if they support this, and most do, to use the you know built-in web browser in the app. But then it doesn't have like my passwords, and I'm not logged into whatever websites I'm logged into. So sometimes it gets a little clunky, or I have to launch, you have to tell it to launch me to Safari, and then I have no way of getting back to where I was in the app without you know again going through whatever invocation I went to, I went through. So with this now, it really actually makes it a lot easier on app developers because you don't need to bake in Safari into an app. You just you know just link it out, and people can come right back. It's easy. It's really I I like it a lot. And what and where it gets well, actually, this sort of mitigates it. I just uh, speaking of review stuff, and I'm not ready to to kind of go deep yet, but I did get. Uh, an iPad mini four from Apple to test. And this, I, I'll say it now, this is the iPad mini you want. If you're an iPad mini type person, it's awesome, but you can do split screen with it. And where that gets really cool is having mail on one half of the screen and Safari on the other, and you click to a link and it just loads it on the right half of the screen. That part's pretty cool. So uh, we'll talk more about that after my, after my trip this week where I have an opportunity to really test it out on the road. So, 
Fun stuff. Moving on to uh, to Everett, John. Indeed. There we go. Hey, back geek out, John, Dave, Miley. Great to see you. Hey, uh, I was listening to an episode where you guys were talking about Naz's, particularly the one when one guy had a question about his Drobo that had only two bays and his Synology that had way more bays and lots more storage. He was wondering what to do with the Drobo. And then uh, Dave said, or John or Dave, I can't remember which actually said, oh, I have a 160 drive, and then I think one of them just said, one of you guys just said, toss it. However, what I like to do with those drives is I like to partition those off and use them as recovery drives. So instead of having to re-download your version of Maverick Yosemite and all that, I create boot images on that drive. So that way I can do that. And then also my necessary software. So Office, uh, Drive Genius, uh, PDF Pen Pro, you know, anything like that that you just must have, that goes on that drive. That way you have a backup copy, even if you have nothing else. That way you can be up and running if you don't have a clone or anything like that. That'd be perfect for someone who really can only back up their files and not clone their whole computer. So, I always back up my installers on those small anybody drives. Smart stuff, Everett. That's a brilliant idea, in fact. And and whether you do it on a uh uh, you know, a, a, a extra 160 gig hard drive, or you do it on a flash drive, having a bootable drive with at least your bare bones software, not, not the, not the company bare bones, but the stuff you need <laughs> to get rolling. Uh, that's, it's really important, I think. Uh, and, and doing it on a hard drive is great. If you let a hard drive sit for too long without spinning it up, things can get a little mucky, but I mean, that's, you know, you'd probably have to let it go. They say six months, realistically, probably a year without spinning it up for any, any real problems to happen. But, uh, but yeah, great idea. I like it. Good stuff, man. I assume you keep some drives around, right, John? Oh, I got a ton of, uh, mostly two and a half inch drives, uh, which yeah. I put in, in these dandy little, uh, now USB three, right. USB three, right. Uh, enclosures from our, our pals at OWC. So yeah, I have a whole of varying capacities and yeah, like one of them, I think I mentioned in the past, I'd use that for installing uh, one of the latest OS 10 betas uh, right. rather than putting it on my main drive because that's, that's crazy talk. That's right. <laughs> I, I, you know, you mentioned something from OWC that fits perfectly in here and that's the Voyager. Uh, this is a, it, it's a, a, you can get it with just USB three or with FireWire 800 and USB three, well, two and three. Um, but it's a, it's a thing that you connect to your Mac. It's a little docker, I guess I'd call it. And it, you can put either two and a half or three and a half inch. So both sizes of SATA drives, you literally just drop the bare metal drive into this thing and then you can mount it. So it's really easy to use for exactly this purpose. And the USB only one is 30 bucks, 29 bucks. So that's, it's actually a great thing to have around. I, uh, I always forget about it because I don't use it all the time, but, uh, it's super handy because you, you don't have to mount it in a case for exact, for this purpose where you're like, Oh, I need to, you know, boot from something. You grab it off the shelf, you drop it in the Voyager done. It's pretty awesome. So anyway, that's what I share. That's what I got. Yeah. 
And I guess the other thing is, uh, and ODBC has these as well, is that if you do have a whole bunch of uh, smaller drives, uh, uh, getting an enclosure and building your own drive array may be a a project you'd like to to undertake. It's fun. Yeah, it can be fun. Yeah. Hey, Bill has a uh, Bill has a good tip. He says, uh, here's another another thing that bewilders me about Apple's implementation of share. If I chart directions from one place to another using maps on the iPad, I can't send those directions to anyone else. When I touch share, I don't see messages or mail. I can share the locations using messages and mail, but not the actual directions from one to another. The same is true, of course, on iPhone. I can, however, use a handoff to transfer the directions to a Mac where messages and mail appear under the share menu, as I would have expected them to on iOS. So I could suppose I suppose you could classify this as a tip to share directions from iOS maps. Use handoff to share to your Mac first and then share from there. So that's really smart because a lot of times, you know, I I will chart out a route and it's not the one that that, you know, maps would have picked by default, but it's the one I want to take for a variety of reasons. And it's nice to be able to share that. And, And you're right. You can do that from the Mac. Good stuff. Fun stuff, Mr. Braun. Hey, John, uh, it's time. I want to tell everybody about our sponsors. That work for you? Works for me. Great. Our first sponsor today is BBEdit from Barebones Software at barebones.com. BBEdit is a world-class text editor. I know that seems crazy in today's graphical world, but the reality is everything that happens on your Mac happens in text. And sometimes you want to edit text without it becoming this formatted nightmare. And that's where BB edit is awesome. Yes, it was built by, of course, because it's an app and for programmers, but there's so many things that you can do with BB edit without ever touching code. One of my favorite things to do with it is have it count the words in a document. All I have to do is open BB edit, paste in the document and right there at the bottom. It shows me how many words there are. Shows me the number of lines, shows me the number of characters, and shows me the number of words. Super handy. Another thing that I love about BB Edit is if you're like me, you get a new app and you dig through all the preferences, right? You look at all the cool things, and BB Edit, of course, being built by and for programmers, has a lot of cool things the way you can make things appear and the way you can make things compare and all of that stuff. But there's a lot there. So while it's fun to go through on the first pass, When you know that there's a setting you want to manipulate, say, three months down the road, well, you need to be able to find it. And just like iOS 9, BBEdit had it first. You can search the preferences right inside BBEdit, making it super easy to use. Highly recommend you download it and check it out. you got to check that part out, especially. You're going to love it. BBEdit from Barebones Software at barebones.com. Please make sure you tell them. Dave and John here from Mac Geek Gab sent you. Our second sponsor for this week is Linda at lynda.com slash MGG. That's the URL you will go to to get your 10 free days of Linda's awesome training videos. Now, why would you want to do this? What are you going to learn? Well, Linda has courses for everyone. I know I've focused on the technical aspects before, but we're all interested in different things. For example, they have an audio and music focus. In fact, they've got a course for in two hours and 45 minutes with Julian Villard. You can learn music theory for songwriters, the fundamentals, 
how music theory works, how chord progressions work. This is a cool thing to learn. Even if even frankly, it's a cool thing to learn, even if you're not going to apply it because you've got interesting knowledge. It's fantastic. It's that kind of stuff. You can really round yourself out with this. Have you ever been curious about how 3d animation works? They have a foundations of animation course. This course will walk you through how this stuff works. You, we see this stuff all the time. It's cool to dig in and find out how Linda can be educational while also kind of serving a hobby. And there's nothing wrong with that. You a photographer? I know you are. I, everybody is. We've all got phones in our pockets. Well, this is the place you can go to learn about how to take better pictures by learning the fundamentals of photography. Jim Hyde has a getting started in photography course. It's only 40 minutes long. In fact, it's less just shy of 40 minutes. Bert Monroy has his pixel playground thing hosted at Linda every week, 10 minutes where Bert walks you through a fun self-contained project in Photoshop or illustrator. This is the kind of stuff that makes Linda awesome. Check it out. L Y N D a.com slash M G G Linda.com slash M G G 10 free days. And then after that, Starts at only 25 bucks a month. What have you got to lose? Our third sponsor is TunnelBear at TunnelBear.com slash MGG, where you're going to be able to get 20% off just for you on this awesome VPN. We say VPN, your eyes glaze over. We get it. Good news, the people at TunnelBear get it too. That's why they built TunnelBear. TunnelBear is literally one click to completely encrypt and secure your internet connection, no matter where you're browsing from. You might be in a hotel while you're traveling. You might be at a conference. You might be in a cafe like a Starbucks or something. You don't want other people potentially sniffing at your traffic. You don't even want that to happen accidentally. TunnelBear makes sure. Super easy to use. As I said, you install the app, which is easy. iOS apps couldn't be easier to install. Mac apps, really easy to install. Windows and Android, you're covered too. Install the app. Once it's installed, you literally press one button and your connection's encrypted. Now, maybe you're traveling abroad and you want to be able to access Netflix like you are in the U.S. Well, good news. TunnelBear lets you pick what country you want to appear you're coming from. You pick your country, turn it on. Now you're encrypted and coming from there. You do not have to be a technical user to install Tunnel Bear. And if you get stuck, they have friendly support bears that are standing by 24 hours a day. One of my favorite things about Tunnel Bear is their privacy policy. It's an awesome read. And I know that sounds like a crazy thing to say because it's a privacy policy, but it's really good. And they tell you how they basically keep no information about what you've done. Everything you do through Tunnel Bear not only is private and encrypted at the moment, but there are no logs kept. You are in good shape. Here's the deal. Go to tunnelbear.com slash MGG and just sign up. You get 500 megs a month for free. That's it. Free. Nothing. You pay them nothing. If you want to use more than 500 megs a month, their unlimited plans normally start at 50 bucks a year, $49.99. For you, tunnelbear.com slash MGG, $39.99. You save 10 bucks. This is a no-brainer if you travel or work in a Starbucks, even a couple of times a year, you're covered. Check it out. Tunnelbear.com slash MGG. Thanks to them and thanks to you. All right, John, are you ready to take us to, uh, to Pete? Because Pete's got a good question, man. 
I think he does. Well, I want to talk to one of the support bears. Sometimes. Are they real bears? They are real bears. They're friendly bears, though. They're really friendly. They wear funny hats that match the, uh, that match the, the, the country they're coming from. Uh, okay. So Pete has a good question. I think this may be uh, somewhat of a geek challenge, Dave, because I don't know if I have the best answer. Okay. And there may be a better answer than I have. But Pete writes in and says, Dave and John, and sometimes there, Pilot Pete, I'm looking for a camera app for iOS that, after a picture is taken, then brings up a text field and keyboard where I could enter a short brief note about the picture and embed that note in the EXIF data. Any suggestions? Um, Now, to explain here, EXIF, what is EXIF? So as you may or may not know, but you will know after I tell you, (laughs) um, when you take a picture with a camera, of course, there's the image data, whether it be raw or JPEG or whatever, but almost every camera also appends uh, useful data. Uh, A lot of it has to do with what the camera is doing as far as the aperture and the focal length and and sometimes latitude and longitude. but you can also enter notes um, in the CXIF data. So what you would need is an EXIF editor. And that's what he's um, suggesting. Now, my answer is I am not aware of a camera app that does this directly. Uh, what I did suggest, Dave, though, is that there are, and I found one, and there are many of them here. Um, so not the smoothest workflow, I'll admit it. But there is at least one, I found, uh, EXIF editor called... EXIF edit free. And that's for iOS 9? Or and that I- is for iOS. iOS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so the workflow is you basically you run this app, it'll then ask for access to your camera roll, and you can then see the picture in question, and if you click on it, it'll then show you all of the fields. Um, and in this case, I actually edited, um, so it's an EXIF field. Actually, technically, it's a TIFF. It's part of the TIFF structure within EXIF. And it's called image description. And I was able to take a picture and enter information there. Uh, And that helped uh, identify the picture uh, within it. So that's a way to do it. I'm I'm not entirely happy with that solution because it's disjoint and that you have to take the picture and then run this other program. I'm going to do some more searching. So one, if any of our listeners are aware of anything, um, that would be great. But, you know, I noticed something here, Dave, and I think there's potential. So if you go into camera okay, and you go to edit, and then you're going to see in the upper left-hand corner, you're going to see dot, dot, dot. Yeah. More. And the thing is, if you click on more, there's the potential, I guess, to have camera plugins. Now, right now, I only see two of them uh, on my particular uh, device here. Sure. One is Scanner Pro. Right. And another right. Is, is an app called Metafo. Now, when I looked at Metafo, it'll show the EXIF data uh, and the service that it will offer uh, as an optional service is to uh, actually scrub uh, your metadata, which, um, so if you recall, I mentioned that there could, you could have some sensitive data, most notably your location embedded in your photos if your camera has a, uh, a GPS, which, uh, of course, your iPhone does. So, um, but it's not offering, it's showing me some of the EXIF data, but this particular program, or at least the version I have here is not. So I suspect there may be a plugin Uh. that will allow this, um, this workflow to be a bit smoother. 
Yeah. But, um, I'm going to have to do more research. So, so I did. So again, I found a free EXIF editor. It'll, it's a way to accomplish what you want, but, but again, I'm, I'm not entirely happy with it. So. Right, right, right. Uh, if any listeners, um, if any listeners have done this workflow, uh, you know, near real time uh, annotation of your photos, please um, help us out. Yeah. I like it. Good stuff. Cool. Going to Joe, John, because why not? Joe says, I uh, hope your wrist is better. I'll, I'll, yeah, quick update. Uh, I had the cast off. The doctor poked and prodded at me and asked, does this hurt? Does that hurt? Does this hurt? And I said, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And then I said, wait, poke the other arm because I think that would hurt anyway. You know, and I was like, oh, no, it hurts more over there. Okay. I uh, cast is remaining off, but I am leaving it mostly immobilized for two more weeks. And then in theory, it should be a non-issue. So very minor, like partial fracture of the radius and that it didn't go all the way through. It's just like a little thing and we're just going to let it heal up. So I'm going to splint as we do this show, my friend, my friends. Anyway. Uh, Joe says, I'm not against using passwords, but I live alone and do not have multiple personality disorder. At least you don't think you do. Uh, but it seems that every time I do anything, I need to get permission. I have two user accounts, which may be part of the problem. This system seems to work for me to keep information separate so that I can better manage it. But I am willing to change it if I uh, if it can help. In setting up any amount you any account, you must have a password. If I go on the net, I can see some wisdom in that. But like I say, I live alone. No one has access to this computer. And if someone did break in and got to my computer, there is little that one can do to protect it. Thanks for any suggestions and your time. So this is interesting. Um, you can set a blank password in OS 10. Uh, if you go into users and groups and change your password to nothing, it will let you. It'll say you did not enter a password for this user account. Are you sure you want to do this? Uh, I think it will still come up and ask you for authentication, but at least you don't have to type a password. You could just hit enter there. But uh, but I'm not sure. I know logging in, it will do it without authentication. But when you have to do things where you've got like an admin kind of thing going on um, that I'm not sure about. Uh, so, so that's, that's one option, but Apple does have a support article that details a caveat here. And that caveat is that if you go to the terminal and need to do anything where your password would need to be entered, which is to say, if you have to use the sudo command, S U D O, it does require a non blank password. If you hit enter at that prompt, it doesn't even attempt to run it. It simply ignores it so that um that that may be that may be an issue for you here but uh but we'll put that support article in but that's basically what it says so you might need to have a non-blank password but um but perhaps not you you, with one account you know you can set os 10 if you go into uh, system preferences users and groups and uh and then click on login options down in the uh in the lower left you can turn on automatic login, but that will only automatically log you into one account and may actually make things kind of more difficult for you because you were using two accounts and you don't get to pick which one you're going to use to log in at that point. So uh, that may not help you, but 
in, in a general sense, if you want to run OS 10, you need a password for your sudo stuff occasionally, but you just want to have it log in automatically. Uh, that system preferences using users and groups login options use automatic login and that can do it. So that's my thoughts on this, John. What do you think, John? Um, I think I'm with you on that. All right. I mean, you could use, <laughs> no, I mean, the story was kind of funny because, you know, the, 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 well, not funny, but you know, if somebody breaks in and demands your data and stuff like that. This yeah. would be a perfect opportunity to use something, uh, like true crypt or one of its, uh, remember, because they had that, you know, kind of secret, you know, the, the, the way you could set up the secret, um, part of the drive and the non-secret part of the drive. Yeah. Yeah, that's want right. To, may yeah. want to consider using that. So if somebody does, uh, you know, bust into your place, uh, you have a, you know, you have a place to hide your, your data. Yeah. But yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's a balance of, uh, ease of use and, uh, and security or lack thereof. So I, I could see why, why one would want to do this. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I can see that. I, yeah. I'll, I'll buy that. All right. Taking us to, uh, taking us to Dan, Mr. Braun. Yeah, I got, um, yeah, we both have some, something to say about yeah. Dan. All right. Well, let's go to Dan here. Dan, uh, Dan has asked one of those questions that's not the easiest thing to answer, but it's, um, uh, it's a good thing to think about. He says, I'm wrestling with the best way to try and document my network slash backup strategy in the house since I am the techno geek here. What I'm trying to do is leave some paperwork behind just in case anything happens to me so I don't leave my wife with a black box to try and have someone figure out if there's ever a problem. I'm currently in the process of creating a keynote file which shows the layout and how things are connected. Do you guys think about that at all? And if so, do you have any thoughts on ways to document things? Yeah, it, it again, it's, you know, this is one of those kind of uh, succession planning things that needs to go on uh, in our lives, regardless of our age. But certainly as as we uh, as we advance, there are greater chances of, of things happening. Right. So um, I got a couple of ideas that I'll talk about here and, and I'll I'll kind of start in a general sense. Passwords are the kind of the most important thing to to have access to, because if they don't have access to your passwords and, and can't get in touch with you, either because you're gone or because you're just you know out of pocket, uh, that can be a real problem. You know, trying to get some service provider to give them access to your account uh, is 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 a totally avoidable problem if they have the ability to just log in as you. So uh, leaving, you know, I use one password leaving your password archive behind with uh, the, the key to unlock it uh, is a, is a good thing. Uh, if you're using iCloud keychain, giving them access to a Mac that you have synced iCloud keychain to is a good thing. Also make sure they have your iCloud password. So those two things, your login password and your iCloud password would be enough typically to, to get into that. And then you can, you can dig into passwords. It's not easy. You can go into, um, into Safari. Uh, I'm trying to think of where's, where's my Safari preferences. Hello. So if I go into Safari preferences, passwords, uh, you can kind of dig in there and one by one, look at passwords and, and that sort of thing. So that, that's, that's another one. Um, 
I keep a, a spreadsheet of router IPs. So, of you know, of all the IPs on my local network here and what devices are on what IPs and, and all of that. That's more for my own reference. I'm not sure that that would actually help anybody else. Uh, and along those lines, and this kind of seems a little creepy, but it might not be a bad idea to record a QuickTime video of yourself explaining how you have things set up and why. You know, it, there's there's few things that are better to kind of describe concepts than you just being there and saying, okay, look, uh, the, you know, the, the, the internet comes in up in the, the bedroom and then there's a wire in the wall that goes down to here. And then from there, I use power line to get it to the living room. And I did that because right. You know, you don't have to continue doing that, but here's why it's set up that way. And if you move things around this way, it might make it simpler. And, and you could leave a network diagram and all of that too, to kind of be the backup for that. But, but that's, you know, that's kind of another thing I thought of. I haven't done that yet. Um, of course, sitting someone down, you know, and explaining it to them, my son is learning more and more about our network here at the house and, and kind of has interest in that. So that, that also helps. Um, but lastly, uh, before I pass this to you, John, you know, one, another thing to think about, and this might be something you put into your video or your network diagram, uh, is think about, you know, you're the techno geek, right? And I get it cause I'm the techno geek here too, but, and so I have things set up in a way that suits me. But think about what your family actually needs going forward. Do they really need things to be that crazy? You know, do they really need it to be, you know, as, as meticulously set up as it is? Or is there a much simpler way that things could be run that wouldn't necessarily suit you? But if you're not there, that they would be very happy with. And if so, perhaps explain that to them. Like, look, here's how I did things. I, I was a little crazy and, but that's okay. You know, if you want to simplify, do this, this, and this, and things are going to work and it's much easier to troubleshoot that kind of thing. But so that those are my thoughts. Mr. Braun. I have some thoughts. Good. Mm -hmm. So one, I think you, you were asking me about, uh, uh, how would one map their network? And I'm going to offer a piece of software that will do this, Dave, mm -hmm. that, uh, that the good folks at, Equinox. Okay. Got that right. Yeah. Uh, hooked me up with, and it's called Spot Maps. And it looks to be fairly reasonably priced, uh, $33.99. And uh, it has, among its other features, but it basically lets you make network maps. Um, and the cool part is that, so you fire it up, and then you say, okay, scan my network, and it starts interrogating your network so you know turn all your devices on and then it starts interrogating your network and identifying all of the devices and then once it's done doing that you can then create a dandy little network map so that's what i do <laughs> for creating the network map if that's something you want to you want to share about you know what your logic or thought process was or just what what does the network look like That'll give uh, people a place to start. Another thing I would suggest, Dave, is that um, our uh, good friend Allison Sheridan did a session called Digital Disaster, Life After Death at Macworld. Um, yeah, at Macworld. she did. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, we will, and that's actually linked from her page. So, because um, yeah, we, we uh, a member of the uh, uh, our podcast community, passed away and uh, this is something that several of us did have to deal with uh, including this person's wife <laughs> sorry 
not funny at all. No, um, no, no, but it happens. Yeah. No, I was just, I mean, the, the frustration of having to deal with it. And actually we, we had this come up with a, with a, another, uh, we had a question a couple of episodes ago where somebody said, yeah, someone passed away and I don't know the password for file vault. What do I do? Um, yeah, so right. You know, just one of the things to think about here. So I would check out, uh, so yeah, I, w- I would check out her presentation. Yeah. Uh, she addresses a lot of the things we just, uh, we just talked about. Yep. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Good question, Dan. It, it, you're right. It's, it, it is a good thing to think about. I like it. I like it. I mean, I don't like it, but it's necessary. So we'll take, uh, Let's move on to a, a more fun topic here. Let's move on to uh, Jed. Hey guys, this is Jed. I have a iPhone question for you. So I have an iPhone 5S and I'm going to upgrade it um, in about a month. But my 5S has been a dog. It's um, very, very, very slow. Uh, I actually got a replacement refurbished one about a year ago. And I think I just got a bad one, to be honest, and I should have replaced it, but you know, life. So I backed it up and uh, looked at it with iMazing even. And it actually says things like the photo database is corrupted. Like, and it can't even dig into that stuff. And so I guess what I'm wondering is, should I back up and restore with my new iPhone? Or do you think everything will carry over all my problems that I'm having? Or should I start fresh on a new iPhone? It's kind of like the migration assistant dilemma only on an iPhone. Um, I've always backed up and restored and it's been flawless, but I kind of wonder if this time I should start anew and kind of build everything from scratch. Um, yeah. Love your opinion. Uh, thanks. You bet, man. Yeah. It's a good question. So, you know, the, there is, um, there is a time and, and we talk about this regularly, right? John, where on the Mac, you can do the migration assistant thing and it's great. I mean, it, it truly is great. It's outstanding. However, it's, uh, it's going to bring that cruft along. Right. And so at some point it makes sense to start from scratch and then kind of bring in your, the bits and pieces of the data that you need and install the apps that you need and all that. And that's awesome. It, it, and, and that concept makes sense on iOS as well, right? The iOS especially has lots of cruft that can kind of, you know, pile up and, and in fact can cause problems with your battery and all this other stuff. So yes, it makes a lot of sense to start from scratch, except there's no really easy way to migrate your bits and pieces of data across, right? Uh, Restoring from a backup is in fact, the only official way to get that data there. Now, there are unofficial ways like iMazing, right? That's the first one that comes to mind where, you know, you can bring data back. But with iOS 8 point, I guess it was 8.4.1. It doesn't matter. It was before 9 and certainly including 9. Apple doesn't let you do that as easily. You have to manipulate. You have to make a backup and then manipulate the backup by bringing data in and then restore from this kind of created backup. And it's fine and it works. But if you miss one thing and then you're like, Oh, I got to do it again, you know? And, and so it's this sort of pedantic process of making sure you build it right. And then bring it over. Uh, the, the folks at DigiDNA have said that they've got a, a, a way of doing this with iMazing that that's going to be better with iOS nine. I don't, I don't think that's how yet, but I could be wrong, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, it, it's coming. 
So maybe there is a way to do this where you can bring across because some data you just need to bring across. Um, that's what you got to look at. You know, how much data do you have that, that you would want to preserve? And is there does the app do all of those apps provide a way of easily doing that in a in a sort of official capacity? And if so, then, yeah, you're in good shape and probably a good idea because you probably don't need the hundred apps you have on your phone. You probably need like, you know, 12 of them or something. So not a bad idea, but also expect a slightly more painful process than you would get on the Mac. I think I haven't been through it though. Cause I, I, I fear it. So maybe I should go through it and then maybe I'll come back and say, yeah, you know what? It's not that bad. What do you think, John? I have mixed thoughts. Mm. On the one hand, I'm a big fan of migration and restoring for my backup. <clears throat> Cause I just don't like to go through the tedium yeah. of starting from scratch. And rarely have I done this. I, I think I've done this when I've had catastrophic failures and the system was, beyond hope yeah you just have to right? <laughs> that's the only time i do it exactly like i had yeah i had a situation where yeah one of my hard drive just crashed and it was irrecoverable and it was like well might as well start from scratch yep. <laughs> i like to avoid it because again it's just tedious sure the other thing well as you mentioned here so so actually i do this and i think it's a good practice that we should all get into is that i will occasionally go through itunes and look at the apps and whack the ones i'm like you know what i haven't used that in a while do I really need that? Oh, no. so you like you connect your phone and and go through what apps you have on your phone and then just to delete the ones that you're not going to use. Well, no, I delete. Uh, well, I, de- I delete them from iTunes. I, so I'm so confused. iTunes. Uh, okay, iTunes. Uh, if you go to iTunes and then you go to apps, okay. you will see all of the apps that yeah, you have yeah, on your yeah. various devices. Oh, so you don't keep an archive of all of your apps, huh? Well, it's in iTunes. Uh, it's in the store. But it's not on, but not locally. Well, you just Multi said you deleted apps. them from iTunes. So, so clearly you can't use iTunes to describe two separate things like Apple does. We have to be specific. You, you've deleted it from iTunes locally on your Mac, but it's still in iTunes in the store. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I guess, I guess that's what I'm saying. Okay. So I, I removed the local copies yeah. just, to, just to clean things up. Hmm. But that doesn't remove them from your phone. No, it doesn't. No, you're correct. But it, it, it removes them from being put on there in future restores and, and invocations. I guess what I say is I like to tidy up the apps as stored in iTunes. And I think that that's a good practice. I think it's a terrible idea, to, to be honest. Okay. I mean, I, I get that you want to you don't want to keep them on your phone, but uh, I think keeping a local archive of your apps it makes a lot of sense because things come out of the app store and it might be an app that you use and works perfectly well for you, but is now no longer available to be downloaded. And if you have a local copy that's authorized for your user account, which is what happens when you download it, you can put it on any of your devices that'll run it. But if, uh, if it's gone from the store, you're out of luck. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. I only do it for apps that I know I'm you know, never going to need anymore. Just- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Right. Like if it if it's something you tested and you're like, oh, this is stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I that I get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, for example, I I still have Flappy Bird. I'm going to hold on to that baby because uh, everybody loves Flappy Bird. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I do go but through no, my phone. I do go through my phone pretty regularly and uh, either delete apps that I'm not using or 
like categorize them. I, I have, I basically have two pages of, of apps on my phone. I've got my home screen, which has kind of the things that I run pretty regularly. And then my, my second page is all folders and it's things like, you know, videos and utilities and, and stuff like that. And I know that if I, if I've downloaded something, it's going to be a loose app on, on the third screen. And it's a really handy way for me to say, Oh, I haven't tested that yet. Or, you know, I, I, I didn't need that and I can throw it away or nope, I want to keep that. And now I go and I put it into one of those other folders and now it's like, it's in, it's, it's locked, you know? Um, so that, that's kind of how I manage what, what's on my phone, but, um, but it still doesn't help with, you know, with Jed's question, right? Of how do you, which path do you take to get back to, to there? I don't know. No, I don't know. Yeah. We'll run for fun in the chat room says, uh, he says he just dumps a buttload of them into one folder and launches them all through spotlight. And, uh, I launch all of my apps from spotlight and I'm really frustrated anytime my phone doesn't seem to want to find apps with spotlight, which seems to happen for a little while after each reboot. I think it rebuilds the, like the MD store database or whatever. So apps don't appear. And then I'm like, I don't know where the app is. It's, it's buried. I, I can't find it. So I don't know. I don't know. Hey, uh, you want to take us to Scott, John, now that we're talking about uh, how to put stuff on a newly acquired device. Scott's got a question about how to take stuff off of a device that you're going to get rid of. Yeah, he's got a good question. He so does. Scott writes, hi, Damon, John. I'm getting my dad's MacBook Pro 13 inch. Not sure what year. Not that it really matters. Um, ready to sell. And I'm having problems figuring out how to proceed. It came with Lion, but now has Yosemite. Many sites have discussed this issue, but they leave out the little details. That's where you guys are so great. Oh, thank you. So three questions. If I use recovery mode to erase the hard drive and install a fresh version of the OS, will it also install my iApps? And if not, how do I get those back? Two, to install... The OS this way, I have to log into the App Store with my ID to download the OS. Now when I give or sell the computer to someone else, isn't that tied to my name and the new user will have problems getting updates? Because it's attached to my name. And number three, how do I start up without assigning an account name? This is difficult because you want to make sure the computer starts up okay. We don't have the disks and I'm not sure if it came with any. This is also applicable to the new ones as they don't come with disks either. So, fantastic question. The good news is that Apple has sweated the details on this. And they have an article, which is called What to Do Before Selling or Giving Away Your Mac. Because they, they touch on a lot of things that you want to do that, um, that wasn't really covered in, in, in the questions that he had. So um, without reading the entire thing, but some of the, some of the highlights here that are... Uh, good things to do when you are going to sell or get rid of a machine. So one, deauthorizing your computer from iTunes. Uh, a lot of people run into that. Uh, number two, make a backup just in case <laughs> uh, there's any data you need there. Then a third, and he kind of touches on this, and I think they address this, um, but you want to back up your iCloud account. You want to deselect Find My Mac and actually, you know, that's something that I think I forgot to do when I gave you my old MacBook, Dave, because I still see something that shows up as Lucas's MacBook. 
<laughs> on my computer. Oh, really? And I keep getting rid of it, but it keeps coming back. I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, why is Lucas's computer coming up on my find my iPhone? And I'm like, oh, oh I, right. I, so I, I had, I had not followed the advice in this. Right. Yeah, because we did. We, we, I mean, it's a it's a Frankenstein that he's running right now. It's the upper assembly from a in far better shape machine. But your old shell, which includes your old motherboard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, ah, that's fascinating. So even the, even though I had reformatted and and followed the steps here. Okay, but to move on here. So yeah. this is what happens if you don't follow Apple steps here. Then they suggest. All right. So again, deselect find my Mac. So this doesn't happen to you. Right. <laughs> right. Um, then number four, sign out of iCloud. Uh, and then they also suggest, hey, if you're running OS 10 Mountain Line, sign out of iMessage. Oh. There's keys and whatnot that you uh, may want to. Uh, yeah. So sign out of iMessage. So Apple has a lot of good stuff here that I think you want to pay attention to. And then they touch on the point that you mentioned Um is to reformat your hard drive. And depending on the version of the OS that you want to install, they have different procedures for OS X Mavericks, OS X Mountain Lion, and OS X Lion. And then finally, they say after you reformat the hard drive, and this is what I have done when I've sold a machine here. So once you reformat the hard drive, uh, all Macs that I've seen will start up in the, hello, welcome to OS X, how's it going? Uh, at that point, I shut the machine down. Right. That's the point that you want the new recipient to start off with. That makes yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you want it right. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get it exactly to that point. Uh, but but yes, that you're right. That's the point you want people to start with. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's hard. I think once you get to the point where you hear the music or you see the animations or whatever they do these days, I, I don't know since I haven't done a fresh install in a while. Sure. Um, at that point, you shut the machine down. I don't think there's any harm in doing that. Or you go to just shut down, I guess, from the, from yeah. the Apple. Yeah, that's, and, that's yeah, right. I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when the user, when the new person gets it, they're going to be starting off just as if they had gotten it fresh out of the box. Yeah. So, so we will link to that. But I think that, um, especially some of the iCloud oddities there, I think it, it deals with that. So no, the machine will no longer be uh, tied to you as long as you, you follow these steps. Right, right. All right. I like it, Mr. Braun. I like it. All right. Uh, let's go. I think we've got time to do one more here. And so with that, let's go to Mike and maybe we can fit another one. in. let's see. Uh, Mike says, I get the following message. And the, he says, I, I ran disk utility. My internal drive would not boot. So I took it out and put it in an enclosure and ran disk utility. And I get a message that says the volume uh, first of all, the volume appears to be okay. And then it moves on and says the volume Mac HD hard or HD three, which is his drive could not be verified completely file system. Check exit code is eight. Uh, disk utility can't repair this disk backup as many of your files as possible. Reformat and restore your backup. That's not such a great error to get. 
Uh, he says, what do you think? He said, should I run Drive Genius? Should I run Tech, Tech Tool Pro, Disk Warrior? Should I reformat it or should I just throw it away? I do have a carbon copy cloner backup. Yay! Uh, backups for the win. Uh, from listening to you guys for years, it seems like if I reformat and put it into use again, the chances of something going wrong over the next year have gone up to a near certainty. It is a 1.5 terabyte spindle drive that is one year old. Uh, just wondering what your thoughts are. So here's the thing. Um, it's not entirely clear where, what the problem is, but by looking at the screenshot that Mike sent, the error happened in the checking catalog file step. So it starts with repairing the file system and it says checking journal, HFS plus volume, checking extents, overflow file, checking catalog file. And that's where it dies is right after checking catalog file. So it means it didn't finish that step. The catalog file is what I always like to call the table of contents of the drive. This is the thing where your files aren't stored uh, in the catalog, but the list of the files you have is, and the file that the catalog also stores the location of those files out on your drive. It's this catalog that can get corrupted very easily. If you just shut your machine down in the middle of it doing something, which sometimes is unavoidable, right? Um, or, you know, if you have some kind of a power loss or a crash or something, that's the easiest way. And, and the most common result of that is that your catalog file will get corrupted. So repairing a catalog file is not disk utilities strong suit. It is, in fact, the thing that it is the worst at. It can do some of it, but it's not going to try and go through any heroic efforts to repair to repair it. Uh, all the things you mentioned, Disk Warrior, Drive Genius, Tech Tool Pro, they all will go be much more exhaustive in terms of repairing the catalog file. So you there's nothing here that definitively says, yes, there is dangerous uh, data corruption or physical corruption. There is data corruption, but there's no there's nothing that's saying there's physical corruption on the drive and you've got to, you know, just abandon all hope and, and jump ship. I think you probably would get any one of those three other utilities you mentioned to completely repair it or repair it enough that everybody, including then disk utility is happy with the drive, uh, but reformatting and, uh, and, and then, you know, restoring from a backup is a much safer way to do it. You're starting with a brand new catalog. And of course, you know, drive genius and actually all of those utilities, disk warrior, that's sort of its stock and trade is that it just rebuilds the catalog file. It doesn't try to really repair it. Uh, that that's probably the best way to go. If you don't want to reformat, and it's certainly what I would try. You know, you've got a backup, so you're not in bad shape. Run Disk Warrior, see what it can do, and then uh, and then kind of take it from there. You're probably going to be fine though using this drive long term. It you know catalog corruption happens. It's the most common thing to happen, and I I mean I call it a software error. It's not really software, but it's certainly not hardware. It's it's a data corruption error, uh, rarely but possibly caused by physical corruption on the drive but 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 rarely so it's far more common for it to just be you know the wrong data got written or didn't get written and and so you've got this this jumbled mess and it needs to be needs to be cleaned up that's my thoughts on this what do you think john those are good thoughts cool do you have and different thoughts i um well to mike's point i would disagree that this drive is on its way out just because of its age 
And I also agree with you, Dave. So, you know, we have two types of errors when you're talking about a hard drive, uh, you know, soft errors, which I'm going to say is, you know, scrambled data yeah. and then hard errors, which is, you know, physical damage to the medium. Uh, you could tell if those are happening. So uh, typically when those are happening, and I'll give you a few ways to find out about that. So one is in the console, you'll probably see references to an IO error. Um, typically I think these messages come from the kernel. So if you see anything saying IO error, then yes, your, your drive is physically failing and you should throw it off the roof or, or throw it somewhere. <laughs> um, another thing you could check out here is, so they do have this thing called smart. I'm not going to talk. So smart is system monitoring and reporting uh, utility or reporting, report, reporting yeah. technology or tests. Um, now, smart is kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down mechanism, and there are uh, utilities. I use one called Smart Reporter um, to report on this. And is, but there's two aspects to it. So one is that Smart can give you a thumbs up, a thumbs down, saying you know the drive's failing or it's not failing, and uh, a lot of times it doesn't catch it in time. But what it also lets you do is that there are a whole bunch of parameters that are stored on the drive itself that indicate uh, certain errors and. Uh, using Smart Reporter or another smart utility, you can look at these. And some of them, for example, one of them that I like to look at to determine if a drive is failing is called raw read error rate. If you see that number uh, <clears throat> keep getting bigger, that probably means that the drive is also physically uh, having some problems. And there's a few others you can look and the, the, the parameters are, are mostly uh, self-explanatory. But um, that's another place where you can look. Um, and I guess what I'm also suggesting, you may want to run a smart monitoring utility. Because I think uh, the OS itself really doesn't warn you about this. I, I found this problem too. Dave, we actually had somebody write in with a question about a TiVo. And they mm. were saying, is my TiVo failing? And I'm like, well, you know, the TiVo, kind of like the Mac, isn't too keen on reporting smart errors. Uh, on the TiVo, you actually have to boot it into a special mode and say, okay, run the smart test. And as it turns out, this person did that and said, yep, it said, you know, the, the drive is, in fact, failing. I, I don't know why uh, I, don't, I, I don't know why this is something that you have to jump through hoops to get done on either a TiVo or a lot of computers, but it seems you have to. So, yeah. That's yeah, what I got. Yeah. Yeah. Smart's one of those things. I mean, it when it reports a problem, it's correct, but it mm -hmm. doesn't always it, it's not uh, if it reports that the drive is good, it's not necessarily correct. So, right. That that's been my experience um, with it. So I would say I would agree with you. I think your your uh, position was reformatting. It should uh, rebuilding or reformatting. Yeah, uh, uh, you should be. Okay. I would, go, hand, I would go with Disk Warrior I, on this one. Uh, and the, the other huh, utilities okay. are fine, but Disk this is this is Disk Warrior's stock and trade, right? This is what they've always done. This is their core focus, rebuilding directory, not repairing, rebuilding. They are the, you know, they are the market leaders in that, and I would that that's the that's the utility I would use for this kind of scenario. Yeah. If but you have a backup. So again, you know, you have another way of rebuilding that directory without losing data. And that is to, like you said, John, reformat and restore. So <laughs> now what I wouldn't do, because I did this in the past. And let me tell you what not to do. I think I actually had this happen in the past where I, I ran run disutility and would say, yeah, things are screwed up and uh, you better uh, reformat or, or do something. And I ran it again and everything was fine. 
I'm like, no, okay. I guess the problem went away. Yeah. Yeah, It didn't go away. No, it doesn't. It it came back to haunt me. Yeah, it does. (laughs) I should have done a serious repair or a reformat, Uh, but I didn't. Yeah. That's how it works. Well, how, how does it work, Dave? You know, I'm going to tell you how it works. Tell me how it works. If you want to get into, well, one way it works, Dave, is that you, uh, there are ways to get in touch with us to help feed the show and feed the community. And I'd say one of the best ways, Dave, is to fire up your email program and send an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You said feedback at MacGeekGab.com, John. It's easier for you to say, evidently, than me. <laughs> uh, I'm almost always, when you challenge me, Dave, going to say feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I'm with you. John, I'm also going to say that you can call 206-666-GEEK. And uh, and that's where you can leave your voicemails for us anytime, day or night. John, just in case somebody doesn't have a phone that can do this, will you translate geek for them? Because that's what we do here. We translate geek. So now we try. I, I, I literally want you to translate geek to the phone. Well, I'm going to translate it to base 10 uh, numerology. Uh, and that would be four, three, three, five. I want to encourage everyone to take a moment and go download the iOS app for Mac Geek Cab onto your iPhone. This way you can listen to the show anytime you want. We have the live stream going uh, all the time, in fact, playing the most recent 10 episodes. But you can subscribe to the show there. Of course, when we do the, when we do the show, you can join the chat and, and live stream with us. Uh, it has ways of keeping bookmarks. In fact, a, a very cool one that one listener was looking for this week. You uh, play and then you, if you're listening to the show and you want to keep a bookmark, but you're in your car and you don't really want to like, you know, mess around with trying to have a find a bookmark button. Pause and play the show in rapid succession. It drops a bookmark for you right there. So you got to check the app out. Please do go to the iOS store. It's free now. Mac Geek Cab, of course, is the name of the app. And we would love to have you uh, enjoy the app. Let us know what you think. I also want to uh, thank Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com for providing all the bandwidth, of course, to get the show from us to you. And... Of course, all of our sponsors here in the podcast marketplace, because that is uh, an important thing. As we mentioned during the show, Barebones Software at barebones.com. Linda at lynda.com slash mgg. Tunnelbear, tunnelbear.com slash mgg. Get you your 20% off. Got to go take advantage of that. Gazelle at gazelle.com. Sell off your iPhone. Get a price for your iPhone. Make sure. iMazing. Mention them during the show. Uh, smile at uh, smilesoftware.com, squarespace.com slash mgg, and also mentioned during the show, Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. Folks, I have some lasting advice for you. We will be back next week as usual. Next week, I believe, is going to be a Cool Stuff Found show, so make sure you send in your Cool Stuff Found. Cool Stuff Found are three of my favorite words, but I have three more favorite words to share with you, and those are don't get caught made up